0: Welcome to Pitch Tech, the podcast where startup founders pitch their business to investor angels or established mentors. We provide constructive feedback on both the business and the pitch itself. I'm your host, Nick Telson, and let's jump straight into the pitch studio and meet today's guests. So I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome on my side of the desk for this episode, Timothy Armu, who is the CEO founder of Fanbytes and recently named in the Forbes 30 under 30 list for his achievements in media and marketing, making the front cover no less. Timo has also been voted the Huffington Post entrepreneur of the year and most influential person in advertising from the evening Standard. In his second year at uni, Timo started Fanbytes after seeing that marketing to Gen Z was broken. Fast forward four and a half years and Fanbytes is recognized as the leading Gen Z marketing agency with over 60 employees and working with the likes of the government on some of the Corona campaigns, I believe, Deliveroo, McDonald's and Nike. Huffington Post saying that he is creating the WPP of Gen Z. Timo has also used his influence to build the Fanbytes fund which invests and funds influencer campaigns for black businesses, which aims to shine a light on and act on a lack of support and funding for black owned businesses. So Timo, absolutely delighted to have you here with us. Yeah, this should be fun. This should be fun, Nick. Before we dive into the pitch studio and listen to today's pitch, while I've got you here, I'm going to ask you a few questions, get inside your brain. As you can guess, it's probably going to be around Gen Z. So actually, great timing. A lot of the episodes we've got on this series, that are uh, marketing B2C, always talk about Gen Z, you know, how they're different and how you want to market to them. Firstly, where do you think you can go wrong as a brand when marketing to Gen Z?
1: Where do you think you can go wrong? Interesting, because, yeah, normally the question I get is, where can you go right? And this yeah. is, where can <laughs> you go wrong? So I think the biggest thing you can do wrong is to forget the fact that you know gen z have grown up with uh remote control to their world so they can amplify things they don't like but also they can amplify things that they like and so there's so many things where people try and market to this audience and they almost kind of go like they almost miss the shareability factor into it they almost miss the opportunity for people to actually make some kind of an action after engaging with the content. And it's not so much going wrong, it's more that, like, there is so much potential for what you could have done, but you've just done the bare basics. But the people who do well, you look at people like Glossier, you look at people like Depop, like, you look at these people and they're building shareability inherent in their products which I think is just such a gap that most people just don't realize.
0: When you talk about building shareability, are you talking about like call to actions to share?
1: No. So one of the things that's like fascinating is because we've grown up, like the Gen Z audience has grown up with social media is basically the internet. You end up seeing that there are all these niche communities everywhere on social media. So as a consequence of having these niche communities. And by that, I mean, you can have the most random interest in the world, but there is someone out there who has those same interests. There's a community of people who have those same interests. And for most brands, they almost forget the fact that like there are these sub-communities, there are niche communities, there is a tribe for everyone. And they focus just on that One to one communication. And so when you think about this idea of like shareability, I mean, like, what are some of the references, the cultural references? What are some of the memes? What are some of the ways of speaking that are really uh, focused on that tribe, that niche group of people? Because even if you drop some of that in your messaging, your branding, your marketing, that would have a higher propensity to be shared because it feels like you're part of that conversation. So that's what I mean by brands not like aid and shareability because it's almost like it's like I'm the brand, you're the person, I'm showing you my product, go buy
0: it, rather than almost like trying to enter into a conversation that's already going on. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I hear a lot, and I'm sure when brands come to you, you probably see it a lot, Where just the term Gen Z, I just hear, you know, they're environmentally conscious, they want authenticity, et cetera, et cetera. Is that just as dangerous pigeonholing Gen Z as this one community that only want, you know, these sort of five tick lists in a brand?
1: Yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, one of the things I hear so much is people talking about, you know, they they are environmentally conscious and all that stuff. Then you go, well, I think most people don't want like most people don't want to accelerate things that will kill them <laughs> um so it's not so much that they're more environmentally conscious i think it's because we've grown up with the mobile phone as the gateway to our world because of that like it's far easier to amplify things we like and we don't like so i presume that if you know the previous generation of millennials, or even like my parents or something like that. Like If they had grown up with the phone, they would have found it a way to amplify things they like and they don't like. So it's not so much like, you know, this audience is, they've grown up and it's like, you know, suddenly the trees and all that stuff. But actually it's that like, because we've grown up with a greater amplifier, that's why it seems as if, we care more about these things it's just because it's
0: far easier now for us to for us to tell the world about it yeah that makes sense and i always feel that or oh, i hear i'm millennial myself but with gen z on the one hand you know you've got tiktok and instagram and except et snapchat etc all accelerating massively but on the other hand i also hear that gen z are actually you know a lot more conscious of the negative impacts of social media, but those two sort of clash against each other. Where where do you see the future, you know, of social media? Do you see it even more ingrained into everything we do? Or do you think Gen Z are going to become a lot more wary of, you know, the Instagram filtered everything?
1: Yeah, so, I mean... One of the things, especially in my space, even if we're working with influencers, one of the things people often talk about is, you know, how do we make the scene less like an ad, blah, blah, blah. And I've actually always said, just be very explicit with it because people now fundamentally understand and know that, you know, influencers do advertising and brands need to promote themselves. And actually, if it's just done in a way where the ad itself is like adding to the experience, a lot of them would just be like, well, this was a great ad. Now I'm going to buy the product because it was a great ad. Rather than this, you know, perhaps in, perhaps in the olden days where you had to almost try and, you know, kind of hide it, make it seem more natural, et cetera. I think we've grown up where we understand the monetary value of an audience the monetary value of influence and we're used to that sort of transaction as long as we're also getting something of value from it you know
0: mm-hmm. well and that's why all these tools are free because we're we're the data that they they monetize at the end of the day do you see social media carry on you know maybe different so you know facebook decline TikTok keeps going a new one comes along but do, do you see social media just being ever present you know, for the, for this generation and onwards, or, or do you see a backlash coming against social media?
1: Yeah. So I think social is going to be here for a while. I mean, everyone kind of talks about the thing that would, I guess, take down to some degree social media would be the rise of this, like full authenticity, right? Like this whole thing where people are like pretending to be authentic, but in doing so they're not being authentic. And I think that would have been true if people couldn't see right through it. People can see, you know, when you go on Instagram and you have I don't know let's pick one and you have the girl who looks like very photoshopped and she's talking about, you know, how she loves this flat tummy tea, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Like people can tell that and then they just they just scroll past. I think social Social media would have been in jeopardy if people couldn't tell that. But I think right now it's that. And also, we also have to realize that right now, social media is the internet. Like, that's it. There is no internet and then you go on social media. It's like, you open your phone to go on Twitter to search for stuff. You go on YouTube to search for stuff. Like, you go on all these channels to shop and all that stuff. It's like, social media is not the internet. There isn't an internet without social media. So saying like, you know, is social media gonna die down? Is almost like saying, is the internet gonna
0: die down? And obviously that's not gonna happen. Yeah, Um, and you obviously um, started when you were young and still young, who's obviously been a very competent founder um, and built this business. What do you think makes um, a really good founder?
1: What do I think? So I think a massive self-awareness is key. And by that, what I mean is, and I've done this mistake several times, like as mentioned, I'm currently 26. I started this when I was 22. And it's so interesting how I think I've almost, especially in the last year, probably in the last 18 months, I've had to accelerate my self-awareness to make up for my lack of self-awareness at the beginning of my journey, which was like, okay, do I actually have a true vision for this business? Where do I want the business to go? Who are the right people to surround myself with? Because especially as founders, especially if you're a first, second or third time founder, or you're building like a significant business, we all read the tech crunches and the venture beats and the and the Forbes of the world. And there's always like one or two people's face. And then you just see that person as representative of the company when really you have to be self-aware enough to realize that your role changes as the company grows and you need to evolve. And the founders who it's obvious they can evolve and they can start you know, thinking about that journey even from the beginning, those are the ones that I think really, really win.
0: Yeah, I think that's 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 a great point. Um, you know, starting something in your bedroom to then hiring five people to then 60 to 150 is a totally different journey. So you've got to be flexible to move to that. Brilliant. That was awesome. Um, hopefully lots of Gen Z learnings from our listeners. So without further ado, let's bring in Camilla, our founder today from a company called Fugo. Um, so Camilla... You've got three minutes to pitch us. The floor is yours.
2: Oh, hi. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today, Nick. And yeah, let me tell you a bit about Fugo. Uh, So Fugo is a SaaS, or more informatively speaking, a digital signage content management software bit of a mouthful, I know, um, that helps businesses to turn any screen into smart digital signage. So we really wanted to build an easy to use software that will manage small to large screen networks, integrate with all the most popular business apps and allow users to measure audience engagement. So basically content and device management rolled into one neat platform from the conception of your design idea through to audience analytics. So every tool you need is built into Fugo. So why should you care, right? (laughs) Well, one in two screens sold every year in businesses actually end up not in a home, but in a business environment, but only 15% of those are connected to a CMS. So the roster are being looked after via DIY hacks, such as USB sticks, et cetera. So that was pretty much the question we asked ourselves, you know, why is this before building Fugo? And we quickly learned that the industry basically thinks you can't run a powerful digital signage on consumer-grade devices, but they're super wrong. <laughs> so you don't need to have like the fanciest screens and high-end media players to run a really powerful digital signage display. You just need a strong, stable platform. So Fugo basically allows users to turn any screen into a high-performing digital signage and get enterprise-level performance and service from any screen, irrespective of whether they're using professional or consumer-grade hardware, such as Amazon Fire TV sticks, Raspberry Pis, etc. Um, another thing that we really focused on with Fugo was we wanted to build an in-built design studio like no other. So allow users to upload their own content and build really fresh dynamic content in just a few clicks. So this goes way beyond only videos and images. So we've added the addition of apps and pre-made customizable templates. So basically you can kind of say bye-bye to expensive design budgets was our theory. And yeah, one of the best things about our digital signage is to see it pay off, because identifying who your audience is and how they react to your content is so crucial for measuring and making a successful impact. So by adding analytics to digital signage, we've been able to help our users to be on target with their messaging, boost their digital signage ROI, and basically, you know, create an all-round package, really one thing that we really were shocked by is that the digital signage industry is massively lagging behind web and mobile technologies in this respect right so we really wanted to be leaders in that change
0: perfect thank you very much bang literally bang on time there i think um (laughs) before i bring in timo and we start asking some you know questions about the business and the team etc i'm interested it's it's quite left field so what you know what were you doing before Or when did you have this light bulb moment to think we're going to tackle digital signage? And just for my clarity and the listeners, when you say digital signage, you always, you know, you mean screens in businesses, receptions and restaurants and, you know, not digital signage above billboards in the streets or is it everything?
2: exactly so that's dough like d-o-o-h which is like outdoor advertising which is a whole different kind of ball game but yeah this is digital signage which is exactly like you said it's what you're seeing in hotel lobbies receptions inside retail stores it's menu boards that you're seeing in coffee shops and things like that
0: and what made you think we you know we want to tackle this industry
2: yeah, so actually, it was quite funny um, how it came about. Basically, we met, <laughs> um, me and my co-founders, Zurab Takabadzi, we met in 2016. And then he was already working on a digital signage-esque project, but it actually involved taxi screens. Uh, <laughs> so it was a completely different thing, but within the field. Uh, and then we sort of united again in 2019 uh, in Camden Town. And we literally just Basically, I realized that he had a war waged against digital signage USB sticks, like a personal war, but was doing nothing about it. <laughs> so we kind of put our heads together and it just, it kind of snowballed, I'd say. We, we really got to thinking about it and we were like, there is really nothing that is serving this as well as it should. And then it became kind of like, I don't know if you ever played the game when you're a kid, like of spotting a red car. It kind of, like that for us, every coffee shop or like retail store we went into, we just couldn't stop spotting this terrible digital signage that was just completely underutilized. And yeah, from there we just started digging into it and realizing, okay, well, we even need to stop this obsession or do something about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, Timo, do you want to kick off with some questions? Yeah, this
1: is cool. I like businesses, obviously, as an advertising guy. But I like businesses which are seeking to take something that was typically for the old guard or typically for people with budgets and then, and then making that obvious for everyone. So one question I had actually on this was more about your initial customer segment. So obviously with digital signage, there's a bunch of people who could use this, but is there an initial beachhead that you're focusing on in terms of the types of customers that you think would you know, get you to your first, I don't know, thousand customers?
2: Yeah, for sure, definitely. So at the moment, our sort of go to market a target customer profile is very much self-service, like low sales complexity. So meaning they perhaps already have the hardware, they've deployed digital signage by themselves, that's very much, yeah, our initial target profile of a customer. And there's a few reasons for that, you know, obviously, like we said, the hardware side, so there's not that friction there because you don't want to really something that happens to a lot of software people that rely on hardware is you can kind of accidentally become a hardware seller too, (laughs) where you're like trying to push your software, but they need to have a screen to do it. So yeah, it's pretty much self-service, low sales complexity, um, light touch, Sort of market-led growth is our initial focus, um, but of course we expect that that will gear up slightly towards more enterprise. Because what we are finding that's quite unusual is that kind of similar to Slack in a way, in the sense that you know we are having very much SMBs using our product, but we're also finding a great amount of interest from people at enterprise level because they also are fed up of this. Crap, right? They don't want to be tied into these really lengthy contracts where they're having to rent all the hardware and it's like really outdated, not fun to use software. So yeah, we're seeing interest from both sides, but our initial profile is very much to get us to our ex customers, is there?
1: But if you're going bottoms up, i.e., you're getting people to self-select and then to self-serve, doesn't that mean that you don't have like Does that mean that you don't have a focus on a specific category or?
2: Oh, we're industry agnostic. Yeah, yeah. We're totally industry agnostic at the moment. So yeah, anyone. It's like we have people from a church in like the middle of Texas using us all the way through to large enterprise clients in the, you know, Europe.
1: Got it. And do you see a world, when you're measuring performance of this, because obviously with any type of, digital signage when you're measuring a world which people can actually see what's their roi is like what are they getting for it what are they measuring to see whether this is helping their business or whether it's it's not is it just footfall is it impressions
2: So there's a few ways we're working with that. So at the moment we're gathering like the useful metrics such as age, gender, engagement, expressions, stuff like that. Um, And then obviously one thing that we're doing that's really interesting is integrating with things like footfall counters and also with um, POS systems so that we can try to draw patterns in this data, you know, obviously, certain ones make more sense. So for example, if you've got a screen that's window facing, as we'd say, then of course it makes sense to see what ads are getting people to walk through the door, right? Whereas if it's a digital menu board, okay, like that's not so interesting, they're already in there. So it's more interesting than what they purchased and
1: you could start to draw parallels in that data. How are you getting age, gender and things like that? Uh,
2: so it's facial detection technology. So oh. it's using using that's AI. Cool. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. We've got our MVP, a few test sites now.
0: And and what's the business model? So you say it's SaaS, but then you've got some hardware elements as well. And what is your pricing for the SaaS side of things?
2: Yeah. So our business model is like pretty fixed. It's $24 per screen per month. And then we do like a $5 per screen per month for nonprofits and, and stuff like that. And then anything that goes like 30 screens and up kind of becomes enterprise level. And we, you know, build POA, so to speak, because they tend to want, you know, more specific integrations or like what we would say, custom enterprise level integrations and things like that.
0: And when you say they've got a design suite as well, so I'm thinking like Canva, um, but your own version, do you charge extra for that?
2: No, it's all included within the CMS. So the design studio is inbuilt and it kind of works in a similar way to a very jazzed up version of Google Slides, I'd say. Um, But it's not just images and videos and templates. As I said, it's also integrated with all the apps so people can display like their social media apps or like more corporate based apps such as Looker integrations and things like that as well.
0: And where do you see, in my head, I I see it going that you will then have this huge network of screens that advertisers can bid on. Is that where you want to go or do you want to stay in the SaaS slipstream?
2: uh it's funny you say that so it is something that we've let's say like looked into for future development so one of the things that we're really interested in doing let's say in the longer term um is to allow our users to monetize and share their screen spaces via third parties basically allowing them to rent their screen space and this is We actually see a strong demand for this, especially from retailers that use our software because they want to be able to offer brands prime space on their signage as well as their shelves. So, you know, that can create a bit of a network effect within Fugo, which, you know, we already do to a degree of our app store. So it would work in this Shopify type manner and we want to create an exciting marketplace basically for users to rent their spaces out in new and cool ways that allow them to further generate revenue using their screens. So it's definitely something that's, in our minds,
0: <laughs> got it. And with um, when did you launch? Where where are you at with with progress? So sales, screens, or etc. And I'm just interested. I, I sort of knew where Timo was going. That your your market is so broad, which can then be actually difficult for sales, knowing sort of where to focus your marketing to. So how are you marketing it? And sort of what who have you got internally that is a you know a marketing expert?
2: yeah so I'll start with like the sort of traction, I suppose. so we um actually launched Fugo this year in january twenty twenty one so since then we have like over four hundred user registrations we've generating about 7,500 MRR now, and that's where we're sort of at on terms of that traction uh and then the other hover would you ask in our in terms of our like strategy in terms of you know how are we gonna grow and do the sales side of thing one thing we're doing is we're Using targeted app integrations. So, we did this really successfully with our Looker app. Um, And then we're looking at things, you know, like, for example, the real estate market, huge market, pretty untapped. I worked in real estate for over a decade. Don't judge me. I know it's the dark side. (laughs) Basically, you know, there's actually like five really top players, you know, like Reapit, Yardi Voyager, et cetera, within the real estate industry. So, if we integrate with these guys, then we can easily pull you know, this data to put their screen list, you know, their property listings on their screens. So there are, that's one way that we're definitely looking up until now, it's been a lot of inbound marketing. So just like articles, social media, website, SEO, tutorials, and guides, but we're going to obviously increase that. Um, and then another way is through the media player platforms. So we currently support like 80% of the main popular platforms, but obviously we're going to keep growing that and then being more present on all the app stores which you know we're on Google Play Amazon Fire TV Chrome extension Chrome OS but again growing this grows your base and then another way that's kind of interesting which is kind of counterintuitive to us in some way but ends up happening is through integrators and resellers so at the enterprise level this does happen you know where actually they're pretty happy about having a CMS like ours too, which I think initially came as a bit of a surprise to me. Anyway, just because we were kind of looking to cut out the middleman a bit, but at the same time, uh, they're happy to use a CMS that they feel they can like walk away from <laughs> because as the integrator, you have like this liability to the installations you do. So there are a number of sort of um, strategies that we're approaching in terms of our growth and stuff.
1: So you mentioned the app store, you guys are in the app store. I don't understand that. Why are you in the app store? Aren't your consumers like businesses and brands?
2: Uh, so when you say why, I mean, because they would need to download us from the app store in order to use us on the screen, because how it works is there's the, there's the screen and then there's a player. So that's like essentially the computer that has to do it. So they would have to download our software onto that player, like right, that piece of hardware. Right, you buy a tv stick or you might already have a smart tv right in which case you would do it like through the chrome extension for example
1: got it so the app lets you download the toolkit to be able to create your menus create your stuff and then upload it to a screen
2: uh sort of so well no so like the service the software itself is like cloud-based so it's like from you know a computer that you would use it or from your phone. But in order for it to speak to your screen and like connect it to the screen, you need something called a player, which is the piece of hardware. It's like, that connects the two basically. So that's where the download site comes into play.
1: So you said you have revenue is 7,500 $7, a month?
2: Yeah, that's on MRR at the moment, yeah. Got
1: it. Who is the biggest customer out of that? Like what type of person?
2: Biggest name or biggest payer?
1: <laughs> the biggest payer.
2: Yeah, so we actually have a company called CleanHouse. who have over 200 screens. Uh, so they kind of are like the way to describe them because they're based abroad. They're in Azerbaijan and Georgia. Um, they're kind of like the super drug or boots of that region. So, you know, um, they're probably our biggest payer, let's say or, or our biggest client holder of screens.
1: <laughs> the screens are in that country
2: yeah exactly so they've got like over i think it's like over 150 stores like locations so it's a really big network of screens um and they have like a couple of screens per store some you know within the store some window facing and they obviously have partnerships with like l'oreal and all of these people that put out their content
1: so i guess the question here is so digital signage can be used for a marketing perspective i.e. like this, where people are promoting themselves. But it can also be used, as you mentioned, for like restaurants and all these places can use it to show more of their products to people who are maybe close by and they're trying to get them to come in, right? So one of them is, I'm a store, I'm going to use digital signage in Manchester to just tell people about my general product. And the other is, I'm more using it for like to internally to show like the food we have on the menu and blah, 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 right? Those are probably yeah. two. It. And it seems from what you're saying, there's probably that you're focusing on both of them.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the use cases are really varied with digital signage. It's basically, you know, we try to explain it, anything that you would have previously put up as a poster that you would have previously tried to share in some other way, whether it be like an office board or whatever, you know, we see people using it within their community center, within their church, they're not necessarily having to sell a product, it's used for internal communications between staff, you know, it was used a lot during COVID to communicate levels of stock, but also to communicate like safety procedures or like wayfinding and so um, the use cases just uh, never fail to amaze us.
1: <laughs> so why don't you focus on one of them?
2: Uh, I think because we don't have to. Um, because at the same, you know, ultimately the way we specialize is really through the integrations. Because ultimately it is an agnostic product. It's images and videos at its core, right? So that is not industry specific. There's a need for so many industries to show in their own way images and videos, right? Um, But how we specialize is through these app integrations. So that's how we can focus to be, you know, sort of more niche, let's say. So if we want to focus on real estate, these integrations, if we want to focus on corporate, we're going to do our looker app, we're going to do time zone integrations, we're going to do stuff like that. And we've really, I think because we're such a tech based team, minus myself, We've been really lucky to sort of, um, and, and to be fair, we've got amazing users who really communicate with us. And because we are a predominantly tech team, we can be super reactive. So, you know, we've built some of our best integrations in just one to two weeks. And, you know, we're not talking like little wraparounds like some people do. We're talking truly native, deep integrations. So, you know, we really love doing that and we, we are very much being, like, product like growth is kind of our thing. It's at the core of our, of our heart of how we feel, you know, any product should be built. Because, you know, we think the day of this CEO making the decision, right, on the software is, like, dead and good riddance. You know, it should be from the bottom up. It should be the users who are deciding that and, you know, showing their bosses what they're using to make their days better and to make their days easier. And, you know, we're seeing this as well because, like, marketing teams, you know, at J.Crew, or like other places are coming and using us, and then they're trying to push it to the big bosses and say, "Actually, we want this," um, and and that's what you know we we love doing.
0: Competitor wise, so is there anyone that you would see as a competitor? And if not, are you telling me that sort of hotels, you know, retail shops don't have a, a head office content management system for their screens, and it's all USB sticks?
2: No, there's definitely a real mix. I mean, definitely our main competitor for our go-to-market is USB sticks, as we said, because we are really targeting that low sales complexity uh, at first, initially. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are people who specialize in more turnkey solutions, let's say, especially where hotels are concerned. Um, But it's really, we're kind of, we're the middle ground player because it's kind of like two extremes. There's either on one end of the spectrum these people using USB sticks and trying to do DIY hacks, or they're completely on the enterprise side. So we're sort of sat here in the middle, showing that well, we can service you both. <laughs> um, we 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 can do you know you want consumer grade hardware if you're just like an independent coffee shop owner. But equally, if you're a big conglomerate and you have like 30 offices globally um and you want to do internal communications and you're currently tied into a really crap contract and you're like fed up of it which is what we hear a lot you know we're we're all for that you know we we're, we're ready to service that too
0: what are the enterprise customers using what what are you disrupting in in that field and and why would they choose fugo
2: so there are things like Scarlac and like really large players within that market that are basically uh, mainly so how it's done is that they're not actually like directly targeted. It's always through an integrator or reseller. Um, So they come in and they like pitch their stuff and it's kind of like an AV installation pitch at first. And then they just kind of ends up getting lumped with some sort of hardware um, software after they've kind of made this huge CapEx commitment to the, to the hardware (laughs) and they just get lumped with some sort of software. So yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, there's a lot of animosity there where people are really not very happy and they're left with a bad taste in their mouth. You know, we were speaking with some really large franchises, you know, across the world, you know, everything from your pizza Huts to your KFCs and stuff like that. And they're all in this similar situation where they've kind of been bullied into getting a really crap software that doesn't really do what they want it to. And especially this is really prominent actually in franchises. It's a good example I raise because they even more so want to be able to do two things. One, have independent control of their store, but two, also be able to create uniform branding, which is really hard to do, you know, because right now, for example, we had a really cool conversation with the guys at Pizza Hut and they were telling us they are literally sending their stuff to these third party, you know, providers of the software. So they can't even make the update themselves. They have to send an idea to their marketing team, their marketing team, then have to create the mock-up, that's then signed off. And then once it's signed off, it then gets sent to the software provider and they have to push it to the screens. That's just such a long process, right? So whereas, you know, with Fugo, we have these templates, so you could set up as your, you know, head of marketing could set up all these templates. And then that's it. You have all your templates, you have your parameters in which you can be creative and then you can design it and literally update it in seconds in minutes. And, you know, I used to be a coffee shop owner, you know, I, I owned a coffee shop in Rome and in London and it was a freaking nightmare because you can't be reactive to trends with print or with crap digital signage. You just can't like we'd have a, we used to spend a couple of thousand pounds a year in my coffee shop on doing like these summer promotions, let's say like window vinyls and stuff. I'd stand there shaking my head like, oh my God, looking at this iced coffee while it was like pissing it down with rain outside, (laughs) or should I say chucking it so you can, (laughs) chucking it down with rain outside. And I'd be like, oh, this is so annoying. Like, I wish I could just turn around and make some kind of joke right now and be like, well, it's English summer, so come have a fricking hot chocolate. Um, You know, so uh, with digital signage, you can, you can be reactive to trends, to price changes, so the weather to anything right so uh, you know you can really create something that's just so much more engaging for your audience whoever they might be whether they're people in a waiting room in your clinic or whether they're your own internal staff or whether they're your you know customers in your coffee shop whatever way there's just so much more room for flexibility to to push out really exciting and interesting things for the day and I think actually, this weirdly goes back to what you were saying about this Gen Z stuff as well. Because I was like thinking, it's so true. Like people do not want inauthentic or boring stuff, or stuff that's like outdated and not relevant anymore. Right? They want something that feels super relevant and or and you know just genuine, like info information for them. Because people so easily filter that out. Because people have the ability to now create their own reality every day online. So, you know, I think what's lovely about digital signage is it gives businesses and brands that flexibility and freedom.
0: So finally, what are you raising and um, what valuation and how long has the raise been open and how's that progressed?
2: Yeah. So actually, yeah, our our first tranche is going really, really well. Um, We're currently raising um, 1 million. So, yeah. We've been raising 1 million um, on a four to 5 million market cap. We opened the round about just around two months ago now. Um, and we're speaking to some awesome VCs, um, but we haven't closed the round yet. So we're expecting to do that in sometime in the near future because I know everybody says it, but we're really not just after ticket size. We're really not. Like, Fugo is our baby and we're very passionate founders um so you know we really do want people who will be on this journey with us and be able to perhaps you know fill in we're very self-aware right we know where our weaknesses are and where our strengths are and we really want to find people who will come on this journey with us to you know polyfill some of those gaps that, that we might have
0: and very briefly what is the money going to be spent on
2: Yeah, so I think it will be like mainly product development. So at least 50% will be product development. And then a large chunk will also go to sales and marketing, like 40%, and then a little 10% nook for operational
0: stuff. Cool. Got it. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for pitching. Uh, Timo and myself will leave the pitch studio just to discuss it amongst ourselves. But Camilla, thank you so much for joining us.
2: No, thanks for having me guys. It's been really cool. Wonderful.
0: Okay, so it's just Timo and myself now outside the pitch studio. So on this one Timo, I'm gonna throw it over to you. What what's your initial thoughts?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned at the beginning, I generally like business like this and these are these are always businesses where I call them the pipe businesses, right? Where they are infrastructure businesses which help people do X. I'm a big fan of those. So generally, I thought it was good. I thought that they had some already decent brand names on. And I thought the idea of where the company could go and this being the beginning, I thought that was also quite strong. So Product cool. I like the idea behind it's just generally disrupting something that was otherwise quite expensive. So I thought that was quite good. And I also like the idea of it being a pipe. So like a like a framework and a place for other people to build on top of. I quite like that.
0: And where do you see um potential pitfalls or obstacles or stuff? As investors, you you know, you really want to dig further on.
1: With these businesses, one of the things that I say is like the market is so big that actually it's far better for you to focus on a particular vertical or a particular segment. For example, she spoke about that company in Azerbaijan. I was like, okay, like, could you get other people who have a similar use case? Could you do that and bring them all together? Because that's the way to win. The second thing was I asked about how digital signage could be used. And one of them is in advertising and one of them is more for like, you know, restaurants internally, et cetera. And I think it'd be useful if you could focus on one, you'd focus on one particular vehicle on one particular thing. So for me, I felt that, um, I felt that it was quite, I felt that it was good, but I felt that they needed that focus. Cause even, you know, people talk about Slack and the bottoms up approach, etc. And that's all true, but they but they also focused on a particular segment and then they use that bottoms up approach rather than it just being almost like anyone can come in and use it. Cause that gives you a lack of focus. And that focus is extreme when you are. I think the team was four people. If you're four people, like you need focus. So that would be. That would be my main thing there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree more on that. I, I do hear a lot of people reference Slack, but as you say, Slack knew that their market was developers and develop, build a community around developers and developers would then spread it amongst their own offices and businesses. So they knew exactly who they were going after, where... This was just so, bro- she mentioned the church in Texas, I think, and then this Azerbaijan boots, like it's it's almost too broad. Um, as you say, unless you've got a huge sales team just selling to everyone, you'll have just bits and bobs dotted all over the place. And surely the use case for a menu is very different from a use case of exactly. some of the advertise on the screen. So. Yeah, that, that would concern me as well. So yeah, I, I do totally agree with you on that. But as you say, it's, it's, it's something, it's, it's disrupting an industry that most people just walk past and don't think about. And that is also quite potentially exciting at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. It is, but the focus element to me is quite a critical thing. It, it, it's a thing I see so many people get wrong where you say, right, like, who is your customer and actually it just becomes a bit of like you know anyone who could need this etc so i think that's so critical but i also think that will help the fundraising journey because if say they raise like a million and then you say we're doing it so we can own the i don't know the restaurant space and then after that we're then going to go into this space then actually you're giving your fundraiser a bit more of a narrative rather than like yeah so we'll get here and then
0: we'll see what happens you know what i mean yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah money can disappear quite quickly if you're trying to spread it across everywhere you have sales so yeah i think we we sound actually quite in agreement on this um so it's a good way to wrap it up so before i do my own personal summary just want to say thank you so much for taking the time timo really sure, enjoy it is fun so it's just me outside the pitch studio now for my final summary We've had a few of these on on pitch deck that um, on on paper it looks you know it looks great. You're like, well, yeah, that that makes total sense. If there is sort of no competitor for a sort of content management solution to go onto digital screens, then this makes total total sense. Then I think you've got to dig a bit deeper, um, and that's where I think you know as investors when you start speaking to the founders you know, that's when you start making decisions on whether you want to invest. It's not necessarily the idea itself. And I think on the one hand, Camilla was very knowledgeable, very passionate, a great storyteller. And I think you would have seen in her, or heard, sorry, in her pitch, there was no detail. So it was more the, the broad brushstrokes, as we call it, of, of what Fugo is. And that feels like, you know, that's sort of Camilla's tactic. You know, great storytelling, great helping you understand what you can do with the product. Um, You know, she's clearly a very good salesperson. But then as an investor, you know, you obviously then want to dig a lot deeper on that as well. And I totally agree with Timo. Um, It's one thing I wrote down actually was was focus. For example, for us at Design My Night, when we built our reservation software, it could have gone anywhere, but we focused on the bar industry. Now, what focus gives you is two things. One, it helps dictate the product development because you are building for a specific customer. You can then obviously, once you nail that customer, move on to other verticals. But I feel if you're really trying to solve a problem, you really need to understand who that customer is. Now with Fugo, there's two elements of this. One, you've got the digital screens that aren't really looking to draw people in or advertising, but they're more functional, i.e. menu boards in, in restaurants. And on the other side, you've got ones where, yeah, window screens, where you're trying to actually draw people into your shop or, for example, in Boots, where yeah, L'Oreal might want to advertise on there, for example. That's two very different case studies, two very different uses for the product. And therefore... I really wonder, I'd really want to have a play on the product to see if it really does cater for those two very different scenarios. Also, as an investor, I want to see where you're going. So that's why I mentioned the the marketplace uh, where you can own this screen inventory and sell advertising. That could be super exciting. But again, to be able to do that, you know, you'd be zoning in on a certain type of customer that has a certain type of screen. So in my head, if my grand vision was to not only have this SaaS on one side, but this advertising play on the other side, I would want to nail a certain segment of the market with a particular type of screen that I know that if I had 10,000 in London, I could then sell out as a marketing sort of advertising platform too. The other side of it is focus on selling. So knowing your sales message, knowing what customers to go after. Camilla was quite confident that it was going to be quite self-serve. I mean, if you can build a business that is purely self-serve, then that is great. Again, I do wonder you know, when you get to scale, how realistic that is. You know, Are people looking for information about their digital signage and how they can improve that. I'm not 100% sure that they might be. It's not an industry I know enough about. But if not, you then need a very good sales machine and a sales machine needs focus. Um, So I think that is definitely the message um, in this one. But all in all, it's at the same time an exciting opportunity. So I think I would want to dig further on the team, who Camilla has in that team, Uh, We didn't have time to get to it in this episode and also what team members she wants to bring in as part of this raise, because I think that is going to be fundamental. But all in all, I see the opportunity and I would want to dig a bit further on the competitor market and see if it is as weak as Camilla was saying. But if it is, then there could potentially be a bit of a, a clean run on this business, which could be quite exciting. If you want to go and check out what they're up to over at Fugo, you can head over to Fugo, which is F-U-G-O A-I. So that's Fugo A-I. And if you want to look at all things Timo and what the team over at Fanbytes are up to in terms of marketing to Gen Z, that is on fanbytes.co.uk. And Timo is on all the normal social medias too. Um, And I know he puts out great content, so definitely worth a follow. As ever, if you want to head over to our startup playground, please head over to horseplay.ventures. If you want to submit a deck for angel investment, do it through there. Also, if you're interested in featuring on a future episode of Pitch Deck, um, again, submit your deck through there. And as ever, would really appreciate if you share this, share this with colleagues and friends, and anyone that's interested in the startup world or is raising money. I hugely appreciate it.